0: Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Boltevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon. And Robin, that was good. Uh, Welchy at first with the music, and then it got to be wavy in and out. So um, might have to look at our levels or something there. Um, good afternoon and welcome to the Bose Nose Show. Sorry for that little uh, interruption there, as we keep trying out new uh, technology and software, and are still messing around with it. As at the same time, Blog Talk, our service that provides the Bose Nose Show, keeps changing their software and upgrading stuff. So it's always an interesting thing when we open the show just to see how well things are working, even though we spend a good 15 or 20 minutes before each show checking levels and doing things like that till you actually go live across blog talk. It's always um, always interesting, the first, first 30 seconds of the show. Uh, but welcome to the Bose Nose Show, and sorry for that little distraction. It's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. And today is another free-for-all show on the uh, Bo's Nose Show, which means you can control the topic if you call me at 646-721-9887. Just press one and that that's Robin, Mike, call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get in on the conversation and then we can talk about what you want to talk about because if you guys don't call in at 646-721-9887 i'll talk about what i want to talk about and who knows what that might be it might be pretty boring i could talk about my poodles but uh we do have a few things to talk about today because there's been a lot in the news this last week and uh few things that have happened that have kind of been able to take a little bit of the muzzle off uh, when it comes to union stuff and also, uh, you know, kind of got to know who's buying the uh, the old Hynix building. So all sorts of exciting things happening here. Uh, getting a little echo there now, Robin. <laughs> it's uh, always a challenge. Um Really, I want to talk about what you guys want to talk about. So you can also email us in between shows or during the show at talk at krbnradio.net. That's talk at krbnradio.net and suggest topics for me to talk about or if there's a guest you'd like me to get on the show because I can, you know, usually use my my immense power as a county commissioner. <laughs> he says jokingly, and, and beg people to come on my show. Uh, and sometimes they actually say yes. And we've had some pretty good, we actually had some pretty good guests from uh, uh, Sheriff Byron Trapp to the DA Patty Perlow uh, to all sorts of interesting people. And in fact, uh, gonna talk a little bit about El Rapa. We had Merlin Huff, uh, the executive director of El Rapa, as a guest during all that smoke during the wildfires about a month back or so. And uh, we actually had him uh, in a work session today for our Board of Commissioners talking about open burning. But we'll get to open burning in a few minutes because the real burning issue for me right now is the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees and the contract we finally executed between um, ASME, uh, as they're known, and the, and the Lane County so that we have uh almost 700 of our employees in their general unit and nurses unit uh back to work and settled for the next uh nearly two and a half years a little bit more than two and a half years because we're almost four months into their contract three-year contract uh, which is always a great thing and it's great to get those folks back to work really talented people inside the work unit Um, and I, i have nothing but great things to say about some of the work they do how dedicated they are, and um, really they're they're where the rubber meets the road as far as providing the services we provide in a lot of places in Lane County, Uh, particularly when it comes to our public health side and our our health clinics and uh, the folks that track communicable diseases and do all that communicable disease prevention and tracking and control if there is an outbreak. Uh, the folks that actually inspect your restaurants to make sure it's safe for you to go eat there. Um, those are all ASME employees and, and, you know, their, their work, um, makes it so that I can, you know, talk, you know, and say wonderful things about the work we do in Lane County. So the, the employees are, are a great group and a dedicated group. And I'm hoping that some of the, uh, relationship harm that was done during this negotiation can heal over time. I don't expect that to happen instantaneously. I think, though, that one of the things that can help heal that is if both the the workers in that unit and anyone that's not in that unit and management all keep in mind and the board that we're all here to serve the citizens of Lane County and that's our mission and we all share that in common. Uh, and that's really an important thing, But One of the things that was difficult during this whole contract negotiation is there is something in Oregon called the Public Employees Collective Bargaining Act, PECPA, as it's commonly known by. Uh, And under those laws and federal laws, there's a whole bunch of things that happen when you're actually in bargaining between management and a union in the state of Oregon and even across the United States and in the state of oregon in particular those rules have kind of been tilted i think in favor of the bargaining units and not in favor of management and in particular, there's something that um, the the bureau of labors and industries has consistently ruled against management on and that's something called direct bargaining and you can get in trouble if i as one of the people that can approve the contract you know the vote to improve the contract Speaks directly with a single uh, member of ASME outside of the bargaining table, and discusses anything related to the contract. And the way that they 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 construe that through various uh, court cases and and uh, precedents set by decisions of bully is so broadly defined that it made it really difficult as a board member to say anything publicly about the ASME contracts and the negotiations for fear that it could be interpreted that I was trying to speak directly to ASME members outside of the bargaining process and would, would be um, found to have violated uh, collective bargaining law and therefore guilty of what's called a ULP or unfair labor practice and get the county either fined or you know other ways and and also it just puts you on a bad place when it comes to bargaining uh, if you get you know slapped on the wrist for an unfair labor practice so it was really difficult to answer questions from the public um, about the bargaining during the bargaining process and it was what was even more maddening was not being able to respond to employees that were communicating misinformation uh, about all sorts of things about what the county's stand was about you know raises uh actual salaries and all of commissioners because anything that dealt with salaries and benefits even if i was talking about my own might be construed as an effort to direct bargain so it, extremely uh frustrating on the management side to sit and you know on your hands and watch as there is no limitation on the bargaining side ask me members were directly sending emails to me directly calling my office in fact i even had some directly call my cell phone to where i had to for fear that I might pick up the phone and have it be an ask me bargaining unit member, and then it would be a he said she said as to whether or not I said any bargaining, I had to have my voicemail screen every single phone call into my uh, cell phone that i that didn't come up as a recognized number and also my office because that's that's the fear and I, it, but yet ask me can encourage and in fact, you know you could tell it was encouraged because Folks obviously had talking points because the, the phone messages were almost identical at times and you could tell they were calling from. Either ask me headquarters or actually the picket lines where the uh, picket captains were handing phones around, you know, or or handing phone numbers and scripts around to call my office. Um, so it's OK for them to directly contact me and direct bargain individually but I would be in violation of collective bargaining law if I replied or responded or discussed any of that with an ASME member. A huge muzzle placed on management and, and a great difficulty. So you have to be super careful as management. So our even our, our public relations officer, uh, Devin Ashbridge, has to be super careful about any communications from the county during that time relative to anything to do with bargaining has to be very factual, uh, can't be seen as a, an attempt to direct, directly contact um, uh, ASME members. So it's really a, a tightrope we walk down. Frustrating because you know I'm getting phone messages from ASME members asking us to come back to the table on Wednesday morning when they went on strike when it wasn't us that walked away from the table. And, and this is, this is one of the things I want to make sure people understand that, that Lane County was trying everything we could as management to prevent having a strike happen. And, and we're actually sitting and waiting for a response from the unions at 6am after waiting all night because we had, we had sent them a a detailed offers for both units at 10 o'clock the night before. And at 6 a.m., they're sitting around waiting for, still waiting for a response from ASME. When they learn through media, like KZI's morning news, that they're out on the picket line, you know, they were hoping that they had actually delayed the strike to respond to this last last offer. Uh, and then finally, at 6:45, we get official word that they're rejecting the offer. Uh, so the, and then, although between six o'clock and 630 asked me was telling KEZI on the street, we walked away from the table. Uh, and I couldn't say anything about that at the time. Hugely frustrating. You know, various things they're putting out there about the raises commissioners got our salaries. So much of it was uh, either put out loosely and then allowed to be misconstrued or must've been put out intentionally uh, to make it look like we've given ourselves huge raises and we're refusing to give them raises never placed in context you know the yes the commissioners did end up although i voted against it three times giving ourselves a 13.7 percent raise in 2016. what asked me never said about our raise was it was the first one we had gotten since 2008 and in the interim, we'd actually given ourselves a 2% cut. So we actually only gained back 11.7%. And if you did that as an annual raise over that time, it was about 1.4% a year. During that same period, ASME got COLAs, they got their step and in merit increases, and some of their units actually got market adjustments. It was kind of you know one of these things where they threw this thing out about, well, it, the commissioners could give themselves a big raise. Why can't, you know, You know, why are they refusing to do it for some of their lowest paid people? It's like, we've been doing it all along. You know, that was really frustrating to not be able to respond to publicly. Uh, they talked about, they, I had people leave me messages saying I made $192,000 for a part-time job. Obviously, misconstruing our county administrator's salary for my own because my wife wanted to know where that extra $100,000 plus a year it was I'd been tucking away, um, but also uh, describing the commissioner's job as part-time, uh, I, I would I would uh, challenge anybody to work as many hours uh, as, as I do on the commissioner's job. Uh, it is at least a 60 hour a week job, if not more. Um, you, you are never not a county commissioner i can't go to the grocery store on a sunday without somebody stopping to talk to me for a half hour about some problem they're having with a neighbor you know it's just that kind of a job uh, you know, so not that i'm complaining about it i asked for it I, I actually asked people to vote for me to get this job but to describe my job as part-time is just completely um, an inaccurate statement besides the fact by charter it's described as a full time job right in the county charter, so um, I don't know who was putting that information out there. So it just it, it's immensely uh, frustrating to be management during a bargaining process as a public employer. I don't know if those um, restrictions are as heavy on the private side when it comes to union uh, contracts on management as far as communications go. but. Uh, it's definitely in the public employees' side, and it's it just one of those things that's hugely frustrating. Ultimately, um, we did agree to a contract that was very close to what the the board of commissioners voted to implement on the Tuesday before the strike. Uh, a small difference of about you know 150 to 200 thousand uh, dollars in the uh, in the final contract and what we uh, uh, voted to implement. Most of that is in the 100000 that we provided to ask me for them to distribute based on hardship, whether that was to compensate employees on the low end for the fact that they were gonna to have to start paying for their insurance in six months. Uh, that That's up up to them to figure out uh, and, uh, and handle. And uh, the rest of it mostly was basically what we put together in that final uh, offer, which was targeted specifically at the lower end um, salaries over top of what we put in as our final offer. It was about $1.1 million increase over our final and best offer we filed with the Employee Relations Board and the majority of that $1.1 million difference was trying to deal with the lower um, paid uh, work classification specifically uh, as trying to um, respond to some of the concerns we heard during bargaining from from the ASME units. In addition, that um, implementation contract also dealt with the issue of the dental hygienist being uh, temp employees versus part-time and and had had in it the uh, 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 part-time change to part-time for them. And what you know in another case of of misinformation being out there even though that was in our implementation contract, dental hygienists were out there telling the media during the strike that we weren't that that they were, you know, one of the reasons they were out there is because we we were refusing to make them part time and permanent employees. And it was actually in the contract we were implementing. So it's just, you know. Over and over again, you kind of, you know. Have to uh, sit there and just grit your teeth and and in great frustration at some of the information that ends up out there that you know is making people angry because they're only hearing that and, and you're you're sitting there knowing exactly what was in the implementation contract. Uh, and 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 wondering how people can stand out there and on the final day of, of when they're actually on the picket line we telling people that same story that they were that that Lane county was. Uh, treating them unfairly because we weren't going to, to make them permanent employees. And, the, you know, uh, that was just uh, an amazing thing to watch happen. So hopefully, though, all this is behind us. And, I, and I'm probably not going to talk about this again on the Bo's Nose Show because I just wanted to kind of describe to people why I couldn't talk about it, some of the things that were frustrating about it. We have a contract. We've come to an agreement. Our employees exercise their right. I've talked about this before. They do have a right to collectively bargain. They were following their rights under state law. We came to an agreement, and hopefully we can move forward from there uh, and 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 provide the service that the folks in Lane County want to have. So uh, if you do have a question about the Ask Me contract, this is your program. You need to call in and talk to me about it because I may not talk about it after this. Or if you have something else you want to talk about because uh, this is a free-for-all day, just call us at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets uh, Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the show uh, and we'll get you right on the show. Again, that's 646 721 9887, just press one, and uh, we'll get you on the Bo's Nose Show. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. If you don't call in and get me on a different subject or have a question about Ask Me, I think I'm going to move on to some other things that are going on in Lane County and talk a little bit about some of the other things that, that we handled at uh, our board meetings yesterday and today. Uh, it was a day where we actually had work session on a Wednesday because we had so much on our Tuesday schedule, uh, we couldn't get through it all in a single day. And uh, yesterday we talked about a few things and one of them was about the potential of an overnight camping pilot being extended into the uh, River Road, Santa Clara area, actually extended into the entire um, boundary between Eugene city limits and, the UGB, Uh, and sometimes it, you know, we focus that on River Road and Santa Clara, but there are actually gaps between those two that fall uh, in the way up in the South Hills, all the way uh, up into the uh, Ferry Street Bridge neighborhood, the North Ferry Street Bridge area, uh, North Gillum, Um, and even, there are even the little bits and pieces out near Prairie Prairie Road that, that are between city limits and UGB, where there are, Properties that would be covered under this uh, overnight camping um, program, which would mimic the one that the City of Eugene already has, there's already an ability that somebody that lives in city limits in those neighborhoods could could participate in this overnight camping program, or a church that's within that's annexed to the city in those neighborhoods could do the same thing, or a commercial uh, business could do the same thing. But basically, it's a program that um, is run by St. Vincent de Paul under contract to the City of Eugene, where they match up people that are willing to host a um, person that's homeless to camp on their property. uh, And in exchange, um, the host has to provide sanitation, uh, trash disposal and storage that is out of sight from neighbors and public right away same time, St. Vincent provides a vetted list of people participating in the program and and does a matching service, so to speak, to, to not uh, put people in bad situations, you know, um, and have the wrong people camping in the wrong areas. And it's meant basically to take, you know, some of the pressure off of the illegal camps. And, in fact, to kind of keep people from parking in street right-of-ways where, you know, dead-end streets or, um, you know, moving around industrial areas or parking, uh, at, you know, just anywhere they, they feel like and, and, and sleeping in the cars overnight or the the folks that are actually down there, you know, camping along the bike path and the river or, you um, you know, camping in the blackberries in an overgrown lot, or the folks that are even squatting in some of these zombie houses uh, that are still left over from the 2008 um, real estate bubble bust. But uh, it, it's a program that is not about setting up a specific camp and centering a bunch of people in one place. This is not a rest stop program. This is about single campers being hosted by people that want them to be there and um, having those campers vetted through St. Vincent de Paul. And it's been a program that's actually worked pretty well. Most of the host sites are churches uh, that are in the program now. There are some individual um, residential property owners and residential property owners are are limited to a single camp, uh, single camp Site. They, they can't, you can't ha- set up, you know, a dozen people in your backyard. Uh, that's not what the program does. Uh, churches, I think, can have up to six uh, campers. Most of them stay around two or three, some of them just one. Um, but the idea, you know, is you get these people on a safe site where they have sanitation, where they have trash disposal, and where they have out of site storage. And you don't get some of the problems with, say, the folks that are sleeping in their car on the street where they're using you know the storm drain for their sanitation. Uh, they're leaving their trash on the side of the road. And you know if they are storing stuff, they've got you know trash bags and whatever else scattered around their vehicle or their their you know their old trailer that they parked somewhere. Um, that's not what this program's about. and that's what it's meant to avoid actually and all the cleanup costs that come with some of those illegal camps Uh, and it's not meant to be a permanent measure it's meant to be a way of kind of getting people safe and hopefully uh, through st vincent de paul and other services because they have to be on this vetted list there's also the possibility of keeping them in contact with services that can provide more permanent housing uh, helping these folks you know get stable and not have to worry about having their car towed and impounded and getting building up an impound fee they can't pay and uh, just that whole issue you know how they how they get out and back on their feet and get into permanent housing uh, might be a first step is to be able to deal with this overnight camping uh, ordinance. and and i know that there's already bad information out there because i got a a few emails today about people about where are you going to locate this camp why is there going to be another camp out in our area Uh, it's not a camp this is not a rest stop so um, hopefully some people will understand that and it's a program that's running so well that the complaint rate is less than two percent you know since the program's been up and running in, in eugene for years now which is lower than the overall incarceration rate in the U.S. So there's more people, percent of our population-wise, in prison, jail, or on probation and parole, than there are complaints, percentage-wise, against the, this particular overnight camping program. And 99% of those complaints are resolved by the, the mediator with St. Vincent de Paul. And you know, and so that that that's uh and and really hasn't placed a burden on law enforcement and uh, been an issue in a neighborhood yet uh, with the existing program so uh, well-run program and we're looking to probably do a very similar pilot and again it's a pilot that will have a sunset so if it's not working it's not something that's forever and um, that's kind of what we were talking about yesterday at the board meeting so again uh, We're on a free for all show here. That's what you want to talk to me about and I I have gotten some interest on 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 email at least so far. Yeah, you can give me a call 646-721-9887 and just press one lets us know you want to talk to me Uh, unless you have something else you want to talk about because it is a free for all we talk about what you want to talk about. But a couple other things came up today and a little bit of time this morning talking about open burning, Which. uh, you know is never controversial in the willamette valley uh grass seed farming uh and uh it was an interesting discussion this morning because uh el Rapa, which i am the board's representative to the el Rapa board so the lane county has two representatives they they get a a elected member of the board and they get a to appoint a citizen at large member um And the way the El Rapo board's made up is based on population and then so are the dues. There's actually five agencies involved, City of Eugene, City of Springfield, Lane County, City of Cottage Grove, and the City of Oak Ridge, and they all have representation on the board. Um, And El Rapo was updating their open burning rules, partly because that's one of the places they get the most complaints. It's also where they do their most enforcement actions uh, by a large majority and um, also just to clean up some language that's been problematic in dealing with some people working around the rules uh, things like ceremonial fires and getting a better definition of that because we actually had somebody try and run a burning man festival uh, in the middle of fire season claiming that the bonfires and pyres that they were making with various pieces of burnable artwork uh, were uh, in fact, ceremonial and covered under that exemption, and they could do it in the middle of summer uh, way out on a piece of rural property in the middle of a bunch of forest land during a red flag warning a couple summers ago. So we were trying to clean up some of that language as well as clean up some other things like specifically prohibit burning grass clippings. It's amazing how many people try and burn grass clippings, and it's not possible to do without generating excessive smoke. And uh, even though there's part of the open burning rules talk about not burning wet or or green materials that cause excessive smoke, you'd be amazed how many people go, oh, they're dry grass. don't get me started on on what kind of problems that causes. So we had to actually specifically call that out in the rules. But contained in all of that was a recommendation from our Citizen Advisory Committee to actually ban open burning between the Eugene city limits and the UGB. Does this sound familiar? It's the same area we're talking about, the uh, overnight camping program. Uh, to completely ban it in those areas, that there'd be no open burning allowed. Right now it's allowed if you have over a half acre uh, of land, half acre or more, which is about 370 some parcels uh, in that area or a half acre or more. And um, so, you know, we had kind of a discussion, we had testimony that came to the Rapa board that we also passed on to the Board of Commissioners I asked the Board of Commissioners to talk about this because I wanted to hear from them so I could make um, an informed vote on this issue when El Rapa brings it back up um, on the actual open burning ban. And uh, we talked about some of the testimony we got. There's somebody that lives up in the South Hills that has an eight acre parcel that's steeply wooded. And this last winter, of course, he got hit with the ice storm. So he's got... A huge amount of woody debris down in his yard right now that he's trying to clean up and was was intending to burn most of it in place you know because he could he could make a fairly large burn pile uh just with the you know a quarter acre of of branches and was having to make multiple burn piles and was going to burn it uh, over this next burn season uh and in that way prevent future wildfire on his property uh, getting rid of all this um, excess fuel material and the idea of him having to haul it his driveways on the uphill side of his property to try and get it uphill on to his driveway get it into a pickup truck or some kind of trailer which he does not own um, and then hauling it off to Rexius or someplace to be dealt with there was just you know not a, a reasonable way for him to control this this um, these fuels in in the uh, uh, forest interface with the city, and uh, it's actually a fire hazard issue for him. And you know, also heard from some folks that still are doing agricultural stuff and have orchards up in the River Road area that are in some of these larger parcels, and how just in the uh, annual uh, pruning of their their orchards generate uh, more woody material, and they don't have an alternative to you know haul it off and the expense of hauling it and everything else it's a lot easier to burn during the proper days with ventilation once it's dry all that good stuff Um, so that was kind of the discussion uh, at the board meeting and ultimately what we looked at was maybe there's a compromise in there instead of a complete ban maybe they go from a half acre or larger to one acre or larger and that just about Took the number of parcels down by a third, and it's kind of a reasonable thing. A half-acre lot is not all that large. Um, you know, 100 by 200 um, is is pretty close to a half acre, and uh, pretty hard to get a a fire not close to a property line whereas once you get up to an acre you could probably put your fire somewhere centered or, you know, not, you know, you can get some distance from a property line so you're not impacting your neighbors as much uh, and you're also at the size of a yard where it's getting a little tougher to um, just haul off uh, woody debris and 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 yard waste that that are allowed to be burned, open burned uh so i think that's what i'm going to come back and recommend the lrapa board adopt and i don't know i still got to convince the rest of the lrapa board members to adopt that uh so that'll be another interesting conversation coming up in the future but i wonder you know what my audience thinks about you know completely banning open burning in those areas should we ban open burning in all of lane county um you know, I have an acre and a half, and I tell you, if I couldn't have a burn pile, I don't know what I'd do with all the branches I collect over over a year. Um, difficult thing to manage large properties that have any sort of large trees on it. So, but if you have an opinion on that, you can give me a call at six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven here on the Bose No Show, and just press one. It lets us know you want to get in on the conversation again. That's 646-721-9887 and press one. So again, it's a free for all day. So don't be afraid to call that number and talk to me about something we haven't talked about yet. So that covered you know, a bunch of stuff we did in the board. And then there is one other thing we talked about today, which was a construction excise tax. And this is something that came up uh, at the request of commissioner Pete Sorensen. Uh, and it's something that was authorized by the legislature, um, through a, a bill. Uh, that allowed local jurisdictions, cities and counties to start charging a. Up to 1% of value on residential, and I don't think there's a limit on, on commercial construction, um. Excise tax when you get building permits, you know, this would be through the building permit process um to fund affordable housing and uh you know it's it's you know one of these things that's really well intentioned there is a housing crisis in the state of oregon uh, particularly for those uh, workforce housing affordable housing whatever you want to call it low income housing Um, housing has gotten expensive and real estate's just skyrocketing and rents are skyrocketing and this was one of the proposed ways of trying to resolve some of that and we got to hear from some uh, low-income housing advocates about you know how important that issue is um, and uh, you know how it's you know been set up in the city of portland but they've only had it in place for a year so uh, can't really show a lot of results yet um and you know it it sounds like a you know a really you know thing it'd be easy to jump on and say oh this is a great idea we'll be able to build some affordable housing with this money because if it was in place at a one percent rate at lane county over the last year it would have generated about eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars which um you know if that was paying for uh mortgage payments for the construction of, of, of low income housing uh, that can build a fairly large amount of housing dollar wise <clears throat> but you know when you think about that though and we heard from both the home builders association and the eugene area real realtors in opposition to the us doing a construction excise tax and my thoughts on it that i talked about the board today is you know the real issue with our housing crisis right now is supply and the the uh embedded cost in housing created by um government regulation and that lack of of buildable land in this area um you know lot prices are just through the roof so once you buy a lot for over a hundred thousand dollars it doesn't make sense to build a $200,000 house on it, you know, that that's going to sell for $200,000, When I mean, you got $100,000 in a lot alone, you know, you're just not making money, so things get built that are $400,000, $500,000 on these lots, and they're all being built in the high-end market, and it's just, you know, which means there's very little on the market in the low end, it makes that very high demand to where there's bidding wars on on some of the entry-level places, which drives the prices up, and we've just seen that the price of housing uh, reach record levels in Lane County. Uh, They Actually, the median price of a home, I think, in August was the highest it's ever been in, in Lane County history. So that's kind of what's going on, is it's really about there's such a supply problem, and in fact, I brought up an article that was in the Register Guard last Saturday that talked about how Bend um, has had almost 700 apartment units built in the last year and a half or so. And because of that, they've had all this new supply come on the market that rental properties in Bend now are actually offering discounts on their deposits and, um, and rental rates are actually dropping in the Bend uh, area at the moment for, for rental housing. That's a result of an increase in supply. Unfortunately, when you look at Eugene and Springfield, there's not a whole lot of multifamily land available to construct multifamily housing on to, to, to add those apartment units. If that was the same you know, number of units coming online in a year and a half, you know, when you start comparing the population of ben to Eugene, Springfield, it'd be over 2,000 units. Maybe about 2,500 units that would have been built and come online in the last year. You know, that that's an incredible uh, number of units, and you can imagine what that would do to the rental housing market here in the Eugene, Springfield area. You know. You'd start to see enough of a vacancy rate. There'd be competition between apartment complexes for rentals. You know, you wouldn't see no no fault uh, evictions so uh, people can raise raise rent rates and all that. Um, That's where the real solution lies in this housing thing. So then when you look at a construction excise tax, that's not about building new supply there you're actually taxing new supply coming online you know new new residential housing to build more residential housing which you know kind of is you know we're going we're to add to the cost of some residential housing through this tax then we're going to take up land that competes with that residential housing land supply and build affordable housing through the government, which is always so efficient in, in spending money, uh, to try and resolve this crisis, it just doesn't make sense. And you know, one of the things that you always talk about when you're when you're, and and it was interesting. I was listening to economists talk about this on the Wake Up Call yesterday, is about how governments nudge people in different directions with policies. And one of the things that um, Governments use is taxes to nudge people in different directions. And in, and generally, when you tax something, you, you, you tax an activity, you suppress that activity. So here we are, we're you know a construction excise tax on new housing. You know, which is going to suppress that new housing activity because as you raise the cost of it, it prices people out. In fact, uh, the home builders gave testimony that for every uh, $1,000, the median, uh, the price of a home goes up, about 266 people in the Eugene-Springfield area get priced out as far as being able to qualify based on their their income for that housing. So, you know, there is a direct correlation between price and people's ability to afford. So we're gonna start raising that to build more, Um, you know, when at the same time the board in previous meetings has been talking about um, the use of increasing tobacco taxes to uh, reduce uh, youth tobacco use Uh, that's you know because there's been studies that show the the higher price taco is the less uh, young kids actually start smoking tobacco and whether or not we should have a local tobacco tax to add on to state taxes which we can't do because the state's actually prohibited that or what you know we should advocate for higher taxes <clears throat> you know and at the same time we also had a discussion about the how low oregon's beer tax is and whether that actually encourages uh overconsumption as uh you know lane county has a higher than average uh, alcohol use and and how we can deal with that and whether or not we want to um, lobby the legislature to raise the beer tax and have that come back in the communities for treatment and prevention programs Um, so on one side of the thing we're talking about how to use taxes to suppress an activity you know the, the tobacco and beer and alcohol and here's somebody's proposing let's tax an activity that desperately needed to try and and build more of that same activity. And in the process, we're going to take that money out of that activity, uh, take away an administrative fee for collecting that tax and the cost of that program of collecting it, redistributing it here at Lane County. And in fact, the bill requires us to send 15% up to the state to redistribute back down to the local area. So they'll take their administrative cut So, by the time it gets back to being actual, um, you know, affordable housing units being built here in Lane County, we might get 60 cents on a dollar uh, of actual construction by the time all that administrative cost is is pulled out by the various levels of government. Um, Not a well-thought-out plan. There is a crisis in housing here. There is a need for Revenue to build affordable housing because there is uh, a dearth of, of housing being built that's intended for folks that are the working poor, you know the 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 workforce out there the lowing the lower income workforce, um, and there is a need maybe to have some government construction of housing, but that should be from a much more generalized revenue source, um, and I I don't know what that is, um, but. Uh, looking at having the housing industry bear the burden of that taxation um, when what we want is more housing just seems uh, kind of like uh, an oxymoron. Uh, It's just, it's, you know, why would you do that? So I expressed my concerns during the board meeting uh, and Commissioner Lycan and Commissioner Williams uh, uh, echoed my concerns, so I don't think this is going to go anywhere with the uh, Board of Commissioners as far as implementing a construction excise tax. Again, it's another one of those taxes. They gave us the right just to implement instead of having by the vote of the people, which is a place where I would probably also object. If it did, if I was getting outvoted on it, then I would. My next move would be to ask them to at least put it to a vote of the people uh, before we implement it. But uh, that was kind of the big conversation today at the Board of Commissioners was uh, the, you know, You know, talking about the possibility of a construction excise tax to deal with this housing crisis. And I think everybody agrees from Pete Sorensen to myself, uh, to the home builders and the realtors, to the low income housing advocates. Um, We all agree there's a housing crisis. There's no uh, disagreement about that. Uh, The real issue is you know, how do we fix it? And for me, it's about supply. And, you know, today's news about the city of Eugene getting their urban growth boundary approved by the state for um, industrial properties and school property and parks, but nothing for residential, just kind of repeats, you know, the issue there. The city of Eugene did everything in its power to avoid having an expansion for residential lands And there's gotta be something that changes about that. Um, You can't, you know, talk about the housing crisis and then not supply buildable land for housing uh, in in an adequate way that keeps the price of the actual land down. Um, You know, that's just, you know, one of the problems there. The other place I think that we have an opportunity to expand housing supply is to make it easier for folks to put an accessory dwelling unit on their property out in rural residential areas, because that will actually have impact all over the county. Add a housing type that that will tend to be rented to lower, at lower rent rates. The, the quote, mother-in-law suites and, uh, um, you know, tiny houses or the uh manufactured dwelling that gets hauled on and set up on a, on a house site um, those aren't going to rent the same as a standalone single family home or uh, a brand new apartment uh, it's going to have a, it's going to be in the rental market in a different place and i think uh, if we can make that uh, legal and able to happen here in lane county i think that could add to our housing stock and we could work towards that same it you know get where bend is where the news is look at the change you know people are discounting uh, ask you know adding discounts and lowering rent rates um, now to compete for renters um wouldn't that be a great thing to have happen here in lane county particularly as we think about the future and uh the news yesterday corning uh is was the purchaser behind uh damon llc that bought the um, hynix plant out there in west eugene and uh there's a lot of interesting speculation about what they're going to do with the plant of course you know they're kind of mum's the word right now we don't have any immediate plans and all that stuff but um corning is a big multinational corporation headquartered in the us of a and uh been around for 166 years um and they they you know everybody thinks of them as corningware and glass and you know maybe some of the beautiful um glassware you've seen come out of Corning New York where the original glass factory is and I've actually toured that original gla- glass factory when I was a kid it's up near the finger lakes so we we're also doing the finger lakes and we went all the way up to Niagara Falls and stuff and the big you know, summer road trip with the family and the Corning Glass Works was fascinating, but they are now like cutting edge technology. I mean, everybody knows what fiber optics is now, but back when I toured it as a kid in the 70s, uh, they had fiber optics artwork, you know, that was all pretty, but no one really knew what that was ultimately going to become, you know, where they had learned to pull glass into those those flexible, bendable fibers that carried the, the the light out to the tips of it, uh, but they hadn't quite thought of how it was going to become uh, the high speed data network that it's becoming today. Along with that, they are the people that produce the glass that goes on top of a lot of uh, your touchscreen uh, digital equipment now, whether it's cell phones or, or um, template, uh, pads, you know, iPads, whatever, uh, that that's uh really you know a big part of their industry and they also produce flat screen displays so um they are they are a cutting edge high technology firm i don't you know i don't know much about it Uh, i know as much as everybody else knows from reading the register guard story Um, but it's an exciting piece of news coming in for lane county And if they are planning to make a significant investment and hire a significant number of people at the uh, old Hynix plant, uh, those folks are gonna need someplace to live. And as we talk about the housing crisis and all that, uh, really what we need is more supply. And we really should be working towards that supply. And I really uh, hope that we can get the city of Eugene to seriously look at how they can move quickly with um, getting clear and objective standards for housing developments, to looking at their, the, that issue of urban reserves, to updating their um, population forecast and their housing inventory uh, based on clear and objective standards, and then looking at the next uh, expansion of the UGB as quickly as possible I don't need another nine year envisioned gene process. This needs to happen, you know, in a one year to two year uh, fast paced uh, process because we need that supply now. You know, and that, that's really the answer to the question. Uh, and you know, we can do a little bit with accessory dwelling units uh, that will add some rental but there really needs to be a significant addition of uh, multifamily and and single-family uh, lands to the Eugene area because, you know, frankly, Springfield's constricted by uh, floodplains and steep hillsides. They don't have a lot of a place to grow there. Um, when you look at where is where is the next apartment complex area to be. Um, We've kind of built out the entire Chase Gardens area over across from Hudson Stadium, uh, down past uh, Martin Luther King and Garden Way. Uh, you know, they're kind of saturating some of the student housing abilities in the uh, Eugene downtown area. And we don't need more student housing, we need housing for workforce. You know, the area on Barger uh, near Beltline has been been more or less built out the multi-family parcels that were part of that um, development in the 90s and about the only place left is there's a little bit of land out in the crescent village area uh, in the in the uh, arley sub you know the old arley uh, project beyond that there is not a lot of um, multi-family zoned uh, parcels large enough to do an apartment complex um in, in the Eugene uh, UGB. So the, 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 the need for that land and, and that land to be um, developable in a reasonable way, not some land that um, is stuck out um, West 11th on a steep hillside near Crow Road and Green Hill, um, or is you know, down in the swamp at the bottom of the hill uh, where you have to deal with the wetland issues, we need something that's on dry ground and is uh, relatively flat and can be developed at a density that will actually make some sense to, for people to invest on. Um, and that that really uh, would would do a lot to improve our housing supply. So, kind of tied a couple things together there: um, Vision Eugene, uh, UGB's growth boundaries, the Hinex plant, Corning. Uh, and construction excise taxes, but it's all part of that housing issue. It's all part of economic development. As I said before on this program, the local area that figures out how to supply housing, workforce housing, in in a reasonable way and have a large supply of that is going to win the economic development battles with other cities and states, because the real uh, roadblock now to a lot of economic development is workforce. Can I get enough workforce at that place? And then, you know, what comes with that is, where's my workforce going to live, and is it affordable? And, you know, that's some of the difficulties you're seeing in some areas uh, that are constraining growth. Why do you think Amazon's looking for somewhere other than Seattle to do their next big expansion. It's not because they don't like Seattle, it's because there's no place to live in Seattle right now that isn't outrageously expensive. You know, they're having a huge housing crisis there. So, um, you know, we're not competing for Amazon. (laughs) I don't want to start that rumor. Um, They're looking for a much larger city than we can, uh, and, and workforce than we can provide. But, you know, as we look at, uh companies like corning and and others that are you know looking to, to locate here in fact the uh the new granola bar maker that's coming into junction city that's adding another 75 jobs to our local economy those folks have got to live somewhere and there's a reason why junction city is the fastest growing city in lane county because they've been successful in both opening up land for residential development at the same time as being business friendly and attracting some really great businesses out there. They've got the expansion of Cosmos Creations, which does that Cosmo corn, you know, that uh, puffed corn stuff that tastes kind of like popcorn, but uh, is is incredibly addictive. Uh, and and then we've also got uh, Winnebago that, that came back in and took over the old country coach facility and we've got the um, Uh, psychiatric hospital that added jobs out there now they've got this granola uh, bar maker coming in there and it's just you know that's a a booming town they're also kind of because Eugene doesn't have enough housing there's a lot of people driving up and down Highway 99 working in Eugene and living in Junction City now Uh, but they are the fastest growing city in Lane County at at this time and it's uh, because they've got the land and and the houses are getting built and people can afford them out there. And that's really what we want to try and replicate all over Lane County. Um, because eventually they're going to run out of room. Well, I'm starting to hear the music. So it's been great talking to you on the Bo's Nose Show. Hope you'll come back next week when we'll have another edition here live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Thank you for listening to the Bo's Nose Show. Have a great week. you <laughs>